0: Guy Gordon and the all-new J.R. Morning is up at 6. Now it's First Thing with Mike Parsons.
1: Well, congratulations to the 16 people that Dana Nessel charged um, in this false elector scheme. You made the uh, the top-of-the-hour national news, so uh, you should be very proud of yourself. As you heard, Attorney General Dana Nessel, she has charged 16 people for their alleged role in a false elector scheme following the 2020 election.
2: We allege that 16 Michigan residents met covertly in the basement of Michigan GOP headquarters and knowingly, and of their own volition, signed their names to multiple certificates stating that they were the duly elected and qualified electors for president and vice president of the United States of America for the state of Michigan. That was a lie. Oops. They weren't the duly elected and qualified electors, and each of the defendants knew it. They carried out these actions with the hope and belief that the electoral votes of Michigan's 2020 election would be awarded to the candidate of their choosing instead of the candidate that Michigan voters actually
3: chose.
1: I've got to say, doing this secretly in the basement of of, of Republican Party headquarters, very nice touch. It adds a very nice uh cloak-and-dagger, film-noir feel to this this whole story. And then after um, the alleged meeting, that, uh, the false documents were transmitted to the U.S. Senate National Archives. There was an abandoned plan to spend the night at the Senate so that they they can deliver these, these false results themselves. Um, these 16 people are facing the fo- uh, following charges. Uh, one count of conspiracy to commit forgery, that's a 14-year felony, Two counts of forgery, a 14-year felony. One count of conspiracy to commit and utter publishing, a 14-year felony. I had to Google that one. Essentially what uh, uttering and publishing is, is a person who utters and publishes as true, a false, forged, altered, or counterfeit record, instrument, or other writing, knowing it to be false, altered, forged, or counterfeit. Um, Another count of uttering and publishing, 14-year felony one count of conspiracy connect election law forgery that's a 5 year felony and the counts uh two counts of election law forgery 5 year felony you, you know uh, what do the kids say on uh, on social media it's the audacity for me you know the the part that makes me laugh and, and shake my head is that uh, a number of the names that that i recognize uh, on this list of 16 people charged you know I, I i've had to sit back and watch them on tv hear them on let it rip they've even called into this very station screaming about a stolen election all the while they were actually trying to steal an election and, and what was the end game here I, I i mean did they think they would not get caught did they think that uh, if they elected donald trump he would take care of them and they wouldn't face any uh a, a, any legal repercussions I mean, you talk about draining the swamp. This is the Florida Everglades in our backyard. And look, I've got a lot of I've got time for people who are genuinely looking to make our elections more secure. You know, I will listen to someone, even if I don't agree with them, saying, Hey, this is kind of weird. Maybe we should look into it. What I don't have time for are grifters who are content to burn down the entire system and to undermine the way we've been uh, electing our, our our officials for centuries just because their guy didn't win. Absolutely, uh, absolutely outrageous. And uh, staying on the theme of uh, attempted stolen elections, uh, former President Donald Trump, he received a letter from Special Counsel Jack Smith yesterday that says he is actually the target of a federal investigation in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, even though I, I haven't really heard a whole lot more specifics and, and we probably won't get them until there's an indictment and it's unsealed. Now, obviously, if uh, Donald Trump's indicted, this will be his third indictment this year following charges in New York state court uh, regarding the hush money to Stormy Daniels and those unsecured Mar-a-Lago documents that uh, he just had in unlocked uh, closets down at his property. Um, and it, it, it was weird. All the news organizations felt it uh, necessary to explain what a target letter is. I, I don't know if this is the first time he got an official target letter. I assumed he would have gotten a target letter the other two times. But a, a target letter is a correspondence that lets someone know that they're being investigated and will likely face charges, and it invites them to meet with investigators to uh, plead their case. Now, now the difference with this is that, uh, from all accounts, this is the largest and widest ranging investigation of the three. Um, you know, uh, Jack Smith and his investigators, they could also, uh, look into money raised on stolen election claims, which I'm sure there is a lot, um, false elector schemes like the one here in Michigan and, uh, pressure put on Mike Pence to not certify election results. And, uh, Some people are saying that an indictment could come later this week. Um, I know that uh, Donald Trump back in May, he got a letter three weeks before he was indicted for the Mar-a-Lago documents uh, being unsecured, the classified documents. And uh, I think when it came to the New York state indictment, I think Donald Trump was like uh, a week and a half off of him having to surrender himself to authorities. Uh, More missiles have been fired near North Korea. This comes after that American soldier was detained in the country After uh, crossing the border without authorization, Fox's Matt Finn reports. North Korea launched ballistic missiles into the sea shortly after a U.S. nuclear-capable submarine
4: arrived in South Korea. The USS Kentucky's rare stop in Busan is the first visit since the 80s. Tensions have been rising in the region, with North Korea testing its weapons. At the same time, the U.S. and South Korea are increasing joint military drills. And a U.S. service member is in North Korean custody after crossing the border without authorization. The
1: soldier served two months in a South Korean prison on an assault charge. Yeah, and we're we're actually learning more about that soldier. And this this story is getting weirder and weirder the more details come out. Uh, He has been identified as Private Second Class Travis King. You heard um, in the Fox News piece that um, he was facing um, disciplinary charges. I believe uh, assault, uh, last I heard. And uh, he was actually being sent to the United States to face disciplinary action back here. And he either missed his flight or he ducked his flight. And instead he bought a ticket to northern South Korea um, to near the demilitarized zone, which, as most people know, it's a heavily guarded no-man's-land buffer zone between North and South Korea. Uh, he took a civilian tour of the DMZ, and witnesses say they heard him laugh very loud, and then he just made a break for North Korea. And, uh, you know, there's so many questions here. I mean, the, the line between North and South Korea is is literally like a yellow line you would see on the road. To me, this sounds like the guy had a mental health breakdown, which is a shame because I, I don't know if uh, the United States uh, military, the United States government um, is going to want to allocate the time and resources or make deals to, to bring this guy home. Yes. He's an American in in custody of, of North Korea, but this isn't Paul Whelan. This isn't, uh, um, uh, Brittany Griner or, or, uh, Evan Gershkovich, I believe is his name for the wall street journal who were taken against their will. Um, this guy made a break across, across the border. And I've been seeing a lot of people saying, well, tough luck because, um, you know, things are already tense with North Korea, and we don't necessarily want to give anything up uh, for a guy who went AWOL and crossed the, uh, crossed the border into enemy territory on his own volition. Oakland County Circuit Judge Kwame Brown, he denied a number of appeals from confessed Oxford High School shooter Ethan Crumley's defense team yesterday ahead of his July 27th sentencing. Uh, Crumley's legal team, if you remember, he asked the judge to take the life uh without parole conditions away from his sentencing um he, they also wanted uh the judge to allow crumbly to wear street clothes to court instead of his prison jumpsuit my guess is to garner some kind of um um subconscious therapy and uh, they also wanted to block eyewitnesses from testifying at the sentences and of course all three requests were denied and the prosecution plans to have 12 students and 12 staff members testify at crumbley's sentencing. Um, here we go. I'm sorry. I wanted to end this on a, a, a somewhat positive note because it's been a pretty pretty intense uh, uh, news cycle the last 24 hours. Uh, Nate Statley, uh, who survived being shot during the MSU campus shooting back in February, Spent the last five months in long-term care facilities and rehab facilities, but but he's showing great improvement. Nate's family says that his condition has vastly improved to the point where he's talking and laughing again and that he's improving so well that his family is not only hoping that one day he'll be able to come home, but they're actually they're making plans for it. Uh, but But with that, there's a couple of caveats. Nate will most likely need a wheelchair to get around once he's back home. He's going to need a wheelchair accessible van. And there's going to be numerous renovations that are going to have to be made to the family home. So um, a GoFundMe has been launched to assist the Statley family um, with this transition. And uh, you can find a link to it posted on our Twitter page at WJR Radio. It's First Thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Up next at 6, it's JR Morning with Guy Gordon. This is WJR's
0: First Thing. Here's Mike Parsons.
1: We touched on this story yesterday. The Democrats 56 to 54 majority in the state house could be in jeopardy if a couple of state reps win their bid for mayors of their respective cities. State Rep. Lori Stone in Warren and State Rep. Kevin Coleman in Westland. Adrian Heeman, partner and CEO at Grassroots Midwest, breaks it down with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz on All Talk.
3: You know, you've got to be creative when you're running for... Uh, office right in the uh, political realm there and uh, the the democrats in michigan you think about the slim majority it is incredibly tight they're doing a lot of work on the the left democratic side but they could lose their majority uh, in the state house without losing an election because of a couple of representatives who are running for mayor in their respective cities it could yeah. happen as simply as that. Well, that's that's the whole thing about
5: when you have uh, when you have uh, it this close uh, between the number of Republicans and number of Democrats, you have to have everyone show up for work uh, on voting day, yeah. or you may not get uh, your legislation passed. Uh, and and you have to uh, keep an eye on uh, what's shifting uh, in different elections that may not even be in that particular uh, uh, part of Lansing. Join us now is Adrian Hema, I'm partner and CEO at Grassroots Midwest. How are you?
0: Doing great. Thanks for having me, fellas.
5: Yeah, I appreciate you being here. Uh, this is this is pretty important. Uh, if if this played out uh, the wrong way for Democrats, they, they could lose the majority,
0: right? Yeah, at least temporarily. That's right. Uh, they've got two members that are running for mayor in their respective hometowns: uh, Representative Kevin Coleman in Westland, and Representative Lori Stone in Warren. And if that were to happen, uh, would uh, the governor replace
5: them? Would there be a runoff? How, how would you decide who replaced them?
0: Yeah, so the mechanics of this are uh, there are a couple of important things. First of all, Democrats would retain control of the agenda based on how the House rules are structured. So Speaker Joe Tate would remain the speaker even though the House would be tied. And then the governor um, under the state constitution would call um, special elections to fill the vacancies if both of those um, representatives won their elections. Um, So they would be eligible to be sworn in um, for those uh, mayoral spots um, as soon as their election results are certified after the November election this year. So within a week or so, Um, and obviously they, under the state constitution, they can't hold both offices at the same time. So they'd have to resign as representatives so about mid-November, you would end up with these two vacancies to bring the House to fifty-four, fifty-four, And then the governor would call those special elections, which would presumably um, occur during the state's presidential primary, um, either in February or March, um, uh, depending on uh, whether the legislation they passed around that ever receives immediate effect. And then the general election for those specials would be in May.
3: All right. So is there a tremendous amount of pressure on both Coleman and Stone here? uh from members of their own party to say hey listen put it off for a couple years at least uh this run for your you know respective cities the mayoral races uh are they feeling the heat they may have previously but the die is already
0: cast there um you know we've already passed the filing deadline they've filed for these offices um you know I, i i suppose there might be some pressure on them not to campaign as hard so that they could come back but i i don't think either of them are uh paying much attention to that um you know there are some very attractive things about um being the mayor of your city as opposed to being a
3: state representative um, as mayor you're one of one as opposed to one of 110 so i know the power dynamics the structure is not necessarily going to change but if if they do win this you do have an e- evenly split you know house essentially will that change the relational dynamics uh, from the democrats and republicans will they have to be working together on these issues. In that respect, maybe the the power is still in the Democrats' hand, but they're going to have to work more closely with Republicans, would they not?
0: Yeah, I think that's right to a certain extent. I mean, they've had some successes getting Republican votes on certain things and, and not as much success on other things, but you'd certainly have to ratchet up the bipartisanship. I mean, the state constitution says that, you know, you need a majority of the members elected and serving, so if there are only 108 members... Um, a majority of 108 would be 55, um, and they'd only have 54 members. So they would need at least one Republican to pass any piece of legislation. That all presumes that um, they remain in session at that point. I alluded earlier to the, um, the controversy around the state's presidential primary and whether that's going to be moved up to February. Um, the Democrats might just adjourn um, if both of those folks look likely to win their elections when they get through the primary in August, the Democrats could just adjourn in September, which would get rid of the need for immediate effect to move the presidential primary. Um, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't come back and legislate. It just means that the governor would have to call special sessions on specific pieces of legislation to do that. So there are a lot of dynamics at play here for, for how this could play out, um, depending on um, you know, whether one or both of them were to win.
5: Now, this, these are both areas where Democrats would be likely to win uh, a special election anyway. Uh, does the governor have a, an option to sort of fast-track a special election or slow-roll it?
0: Um, she has some discretion as to how quickly she calls the special election. Um, that, that's under her discretion. But she doesn't have unilateral authority to change election dates or anything like that. So she can call a special election um for um you know for one of the upcoming elections but um she can't just like let unilaterally move around election dates
3: how does uh, House speaker joe tate feel about this has he he's become uh, vocal on this this particular uh, these two races that they're engaging in
0: no, not really. Certainly not at least publicly that um, that we've been able to see reported in media or anything that he said in like a press conference. It's a uh, it's a difficult thing for him. Right. On the one hand, um, you know, obviously, he would prefer that Democrats uh, maintain their majority in the House. But on the other hand, um, as you pointed out, the House is pretty closely divided anyway. And, uh, you know, take taking public shots at these folks for running for mayor wouldn't be a very smart move on his part because he needs their votes for any piece of legislation that goes up on the board.
5: How, how, how is it going in Lansing? Is it kind of, uh, with the, with the Democrats in control of, of both houses and the governor's office, is it kind of pedal to the metal with their agenda, or are they moving at a pace that's pretty typical in Lansing?
0: Certainly coming out of the gate, they were moving at an incredibly fast pace. Um, you know, They had 40 years of pent-up demand since the last time that Democrats had unified control of state government, and they passed a lot of Democratic priorities that they'd been waiting on for a long time. Um, we've seen the pace slow somewhat. Um, they're, they're not in session right now, right? They're on, they're on summer break right now, and it doesn't sound like they're going to come back for real serious voting until September. Um, so the pace has certainly slowed, but those first six months were a whirlwind.
3: You you mentioned the uh, early primary, February 27th, and in order to do that, the the state legislature would have to choose to shut things down early this year for it to legitimately take effect in February. Um, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor, says that she's very confident that that's going to occur, at least the primary. Is there any indication whatsoever that they're not going to stop this legislative session early this year and that the February 27th date will not occur?
0: Sure. Well, they've actually got multiple options here. The early adjournment is one option. Um, Another option is a negotiated outcome with Senate Republicans. That would require uh, Governor Whitmer and the legislative Democrats to give up something that the Senate Republicans want, presumably. um, But they could grant immediate effect um, on this legislation. It continues to languish with the Senate clerks. Um, and has not been sent to the governor for her signature because the easiest outcome for Democrats is for the Senate Republicans to give up the number of votes they need to achieve the supermajority that's required um, to give a bill immediate effect. So that's their preferred option. I think that, you know, early adjournment is a secondary option to make sure that they get that primary in late February the way that they want it. But that's um, the, the price for Senate Republicans to do that would be high because the Republican National Committee's rules uh, would penalize um, uh, Michigan Republicans in terms of the number of delegates um, if they held their presidential primary then. So it's a difficult, uh, difficult set of issues really for both
3: parties. It really is. And I'm glad you, you touched on that point more thoroughly. Thanks so much. Adrian Hemon, partner and CEO of Grassroots Midwest.
1: All right, this week we're taking a walk down memory lane. It's been 10 years since Detroit filed for bankruptcy, which is still the largest municipal bankruptcy in history. Guy Gordon covered it. Lloyd Jackson covered it. Sandy Brua, president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, he had to navigate through it. And the three of them reflect on it.
2: Sandy, uh, you, you watched this from the Commerce Department as an ongoing drama, and then from your post at, at the chamber. Uh, good morning. Good
4: morning. Good to see you both. You've got to
2: you s- know, I, lo- I love the perspective you bring because it's both external and then internal because you became part of the, the process at trying to, to manage this. Um, just kind of frame for us the city that we were in 10 years ago where the, you know, only 40 cents on every dollar could actually be applied to delivering services to the residents.
4: Yeah, guy, your your lead in was, was was actually perfect. And I you know, it's you know, I think what's most important to remember about municipal bankruptcy is that municipal bankruptcy only did one thing. All it did was fix a portion, a pretty big portion, but a portion of Detroit's books. It didn't bring any more people into the city, it didn't fix our city services, it didn't improve EMS. All that allowed bankruptcy was for people like Mike Duggan or Dan Gilbert you know, and other leaders to come in and take advantage of that opportunity.
6: Yeah.
4: It so is... What bankruptcy did was just provided a basically a slate, a platform for people to come in, people of goodwill and of good mind. To come in and do good things, and that 's exactly what happened
2: and people with fiscal discipline, but you make a really good point it was something that struck me as I was considering this for the past several days is cities are much more than just a balance sheet, but when Absolutely. your balance sheet is as out of whack as ours was. Well, then you're not a real city because the residents aren't getting what they deserve. Lloyd?
6: And, and, and Sandy, you know, w- with the bankruptcy, we had a starting point, uh, which was great. But if you don't have the right people after it's over, it could st- you could still go down the drain. I mean, if you don't have the community groups and the nonprofits and the, and the business investment and, you know, city council and the mayor all working together, like all the stars and the moon, they have to line up for us to be as successful as we are now.
4: Lloyd, that's absolutely perfect. In fact, I've been saying for the last week as we, you know, have been working up to this 10-year anniversary date is that, you know, the city is really not that different than than a family. If we as a family were in severe debt and we couldn't pay our bills and – you know so much of our money was just going to debt service and our house was falling apart because we couldn't afford to maintain it and you know some long lost rich uncle bequeaths us a whole bunch of money to pay off our debts if we didn't change any of our practices right if we continued to overspend if we continued to make bad decisions if we continued not to invest uh say in our home We would be exactly in the same position we were before that long lost uncle's money, you know, unexpectedly came down on us. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, so it's it's all about what do you do with the opportunity? And the other thing I remind people of is that, you know, the best thing about what has happened to Detroit in the last 10 years is that the problems that Detroit has are essentially the same problems every other Midwestern industrial city has today. It's not like we are dealing with a completely unique set of issues, like we were ten years ago mm-hmm. when we were only spending, you know, uh, six, uh, thirty or forty cents on every dollar on city services.
2: So somewhere in the mid '90s, as the internet was taking shape, there was a state website where you could plug in <coughs> the the tax bill for any municipality in the state of Michigan and compare it to other municipalities. That allowed you to shop if you were a resident seeking a new place to plant your flag and and to make your home. And the one thing that kept was just glaringly apparent in the mid-'90s and late-'90s was that Detroit was not competitive, not even approaching competitiveness in terms of the high millage rates on unreasonable assessments. And then you looked at the garbage pickup, the response times, you, you weren't getting a return on your tax dollar at all. Where are we now? Are we now competitive in your mind, with surrounding suburbs and your suburbs?
4: Yeah, you know, Guy, first of all, you're absolutely right. Taxes are like any other expenditure. If you're going to pay Cadillac prices, you expect a Cadillac, not, you know, an entry-level Kia. Uh, And, you know, if you don't get that value proposition right, you know, people will vote with their feet, and that's exactly what was happening in Detroit. Yes. I will say, and, you know, you saw the mayor up at the Mackinac Policy Conference not too long ago do a treatise on you know where detroit stands on property tax today and i agree with him uh wholeheartedly that we are not where we need to be in the city of detroit regarding our taxes we uh we have uh our tax system basically encourages blight and it discourages development you know and so uh he has a proposal that he launched at our mackinac policy conference to revise the tax system to uh, lower the taxes on buildings, you know, homes and businesses, but increase the tax on just basically vacant property, which will kind of ret- return the dynamic because right now the military in Detroit, it's higher than it is, say, in Birmingham. And obviously that's not the right dynamic.
6: Uh, Sandy, we had emergency manager Kevin Orr. He came and went. We have governors that come and go. We have mayors that come and go, city council people that come and go. You know, should we really understand that the success we have today isn't really guaranteed tomorrow?
4: Oh, Lloyd, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, think of the innovation that Mike Duggan has, has brought to his job. I mean, when you think about you know what he has done around blight removal, the side lot program, you know his focus on EMS services. Even frankly, the buses are running on time more than they were uh, a decade ago. Think about his aggressiveness in attracting businesses, and that confidence that Mike Duggan has brought as the mayor of the city of Detroit has allowed not just Dan Gilbert and Chris Illich and those folks, but people that we don't even know who decided, hey. Detroit is now a good place to invest. I want to move my business. I want to start developing there, or frankly, I just want to move my family uh, to Detroit or the Detroit region. It's that confidence that good government provides uh, that is attractive to people. So, if the next mayor uh, of, of the city, you know, doesn't share Mike Duggan's, you know, innovation, focus on forward progress, focus on bringing people and businesses. Uh, To the city, Uh, you know, our success today uh, could be our lack of success tomorrow.
2: I worry about the the future without a Mike Duggan, uh, Sandy, because he has exercised such incredible discipline in this process and vowing never to go back. But we know there's a there is a tendency to political expediency to not be able to say no to municipal unions, to not be able to say no to folks on council that have their pet projects, to not have that fiscal discipline. In terms of businesses that, and, and, and credit rating agencies and those externally that look at Detroit that you talk to, do they believe that Mike has also changed the culture, that Detroit has changed the culture, or could we backslide?
4: I don't think anybody thinks that uh, we can't, Go backwards. Uh, In fact, when you look at just, you know, look at New York City, I mean, we, you know, New York City went uh, to de Blasio after uh, two or three terms of Mike Bloomberg, right? You know, someone very different, someone Mm -hmm. who kind of lacked that discipline. And, you know, frankly, New York is not as solid as it was when Mike Bloomberg uh, was mayor. So you see this in cities, you see this in states where the political cycle you know, sometimes we will make the tough decision as voters and bring in someone to make tough decisions and, and do the right thing. Uh, but then, you know, we, then we start taking that for granted very, very quickly and say, oh, now it's time to go back to, to the old ways. So I think uh, after Mike Duggan leaves office, uh, the man or woman who follows him, uh, you know, will be, you know, will be very, very lucky, I think, if we get someone of the same caliber and discipline, and focus, and innovation uh, that we have in Mike Duggan.
1: Sandy Barua and uh, Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson, reflecting back 10 years since the Detroit bankruptcy. Uh, I'll be right back to wrap this up and get you ready for J.R. Mornings. It's First Thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right, so uh, taking attendance, Nick Roddy is here. Lloyd Jackson is here. President. And, uh, oh, guy's got more time off. He's not here this morning again. But that's okay because we are uh, graced by the presence of uh, our friend Marie uh, who we haven't seen since we started working afternoons. So yeah. It, yeah, all...
7: I miss you guys. I really do miss you guys. And do I detect a little resentment here on uh, Guy's time off?
1: No. You know why? Because... I mean, <laughs>
7: is there a little vacation envy, vacay envy? Have,
6: how long have we been doing this? Uh,
7: yeah, I was going like, to say, uh, you guys uh, just...
1: Started. It's a, mu- it's <laughs> a month say. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah What so... <laughs> is up with that? He's working on that Howard Stern contract. <laughs> <Right>. you, know? <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm taking some time Time off in August. So, yeah. you know, guys with the grandkids. That's yes, right. Absolutely. You got to cherish
6: that time, right? You have to. And this is just the time of year that people take time off. Right. You know? So it is what it is.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, if this if, if this switch happened in December, we'd have three or four months. But, yeah. uh, hey, yeah, we're getting our sea legs under us. I, I got to say, yesterday was probably one of the craziest, fastest-paced news days I remember in a long, long time, mm-hmm. um, you know, first I'm like, oh, OK, this this North Korean, uh, th- this mm. U.S. soldier in North Korea, that's yeah. going to be the lead story. Oh, Donald Trump getting this target letter. That's going to mm. be the lead story. Maybe
6: electors. And, 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 you know, yeah. And then it's just.
1: Well, I got to say that the electors story to me is uh, not to sound like Don King, but uh, is the most outrageous, I think, because. <laughs> I, I said this during the open, you know, the thing that sticks in my craw about these these false electors, the 16 people who are being charged for their role and in, um, in, in in sending fake electors in, um, in favor of Donald Trump instead of Joe Biden, um, trying trying to send those to Washington, is that a number of the names on this list of the 16 people charged, You know, they've been all over uh, TV. They've called into our station screaming about a stolen election. All the while, they were taking tangible steps to try to steal steal an election. election.
7: Yeah. And and also, one of my favorite things, and, and we're going to be talking a little bit later uh, on about this with Matthew Schneider, uh, talking about a little bit more in depth about both of these stories with the president as well as what's happening here in Michigan. But the the story about Michigan was that the people that said, you know, I was just signing in when I got there. <laughs> yeah. They gave me a piece of paper and I was just signing my yeah. name in. Uh-huh. I, I thought to myself, I've been to a lot of things where you've got to sign in. Right. It's pretty clear. That you're signing Signing in in and not signing (laughs) in like some document. I never sign anything that's blank and I'm not that important. So, I mean, we all kind of know don't ever sign anything. Don't do that. That's That's
1: right. It was the sign in sheet is it always in like a secret corner of the basement of headquarters Well, because, that's the thing you know they they met in the basement well, right? they
7: couldn't get into the they couldn't get into the capitol so yeah. that was the other that was yeah the
1: other issue well, I that. think what happened is 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 they they met in the basement of Republican the headquarters, uh, headquarters. Uh-huh. and yes. then I think they tried was it the state capitol they tried to get into and they couldn't and it got turned away and yeah. then they were going to uh. Send it to the U.S. Capitol, right? Yes, and I think they did. The archives. They, the did, archives. Send it. they yeah. did
7: send it to the archives. And and yeah. that
1: might actually be the piece of evidence that, that you know, sends them up the river.
7: It's my understanding, again, Matthew Snyder will, I'm sure, uh, shed some light on this, but they sent it to the archives with the idea that if Mike Pence did take action to not certify the vote then those those documents would be there ready to go yes okay now that's my understanding i right. don't know maybe Matthew it's, no will, you we'll know
1: explain what explain it a little further on that if, if if you guys are confused i'm confused because <laughs> you two are two of the solid most solid news people i know uh-huh. so it's a good thing we've got matthew Sh- schneider on today because yeah. this needs a, a lot of unraveling and i also think um, I heard that there was an abandoned plan to try to spend the night at yes. the state capitol <laughs> yes. and try to, oh my goodness so they and had,
7: they had their uh uh sleeping bags in the trunks of the car
1: yeah <laughs> well I mean uh you gotta uh, you, you, you gotta uh admire their uh commitment to to trying to commit fraud yep
7: and <laughs> okay. uh, on a much lighter note though Mike I have heard that the uh, Detroit Lions camp that's coming up mm-hmm. is, okay, move over Taylor Swift. That is the hottest ticket in town. Really? To try to get into, you've got a site. It used to be, you could like, apparently just show up. We're going to talk to Steve Courtney about yeah. this. Apparently you could just show up and yeah. but now nope they need to you need to sign up ahead of time because every, it's free but just yeah. there there's so many people now
6: wanting to get their eyeballs on this team. Well, I heard MGM is uh, you know, betting uh, out of the NFC that uh, the Lions go to the Super Bowl.
1: <laughs> really? I, I knew I, I knew we were heavy favorites <laughs> to win the North, but yeah. well, I mean the you know, the AFC is the powerhouse. I mean it'd be great to see um, you know, we we talked about Hard Knocks last week. I right. think Dan Campbell especially, but the Detroit Lions kind of became America's sweetheart uh last summer during Hard Knocks. I mean, they Dan did. Dan Campbell's such a magnetic personality. And then they went on that they went on that long run right. at the end of the season, and wouldn't it just be the most same old Lions thing for us to have our hopes up like well, this all-off yeah. season and uh, then I know. Yeah. I you
6: know. D- 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 no. I'm a sucker, though. I'm just going to be a sucker. I've right. been a sucker for a long time. And You're I'll be a sucker <laughs> because I'm going to be with the Lions when they win. I'm not going to be the That's you right. know, the fly-by-night guy you know, who comes yes. on just when they start winning everything. I was there when they You're, were... 0 oh, and 16. You're, and you're before.
1: You're ready to get hurt again, but I hope you don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope, hope you don't. I don't either.
7: Um, is that Hard Knocks show going to be on again?
1: <laughs> it is. It's a what team is the Jets? A, the Jets. Oh, this time. so
7: they pick a new
1: team. I'm sorry. All well, right, they pick
0: a new team.
7: Every
1: well, they year. wanted a, and Nick and Lloyd. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. They wanted the Lions for a second season, they didn't did. they?
0: Yeah, they asked the Lions to come
6: back, but yeah,
0: the Lions. But they got, got no bigger fish to that. fry. That's right.
6: They
1: yeah, got to play Patrick
6: Mahomes on Thursday Night Football. Got to get ready for why Patrick Mahomes. Why would they Mahomes. not
7: be interested in that? I'm I'm just curious, being a little bit of an outsider here, why Why would they not be interested in that,
0: Nick? It's pretty invasive. I mean, it, yeah, there's a lot of workers, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I think they enjoyed the kind of uh, publicity they got, but I think they're ready to be the favorites.
1: Yeah, I would imagine that uh, I I would imagine that it's 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 pretty distracting. And, uh, I I mean, what you see on Hard Knocks isn't necessarily reality. I mean... I remember watching Hard Knocks last year, and uh, Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, was nowhere around. And then it turns out that uh, he was around because he ended up running one of the best off- offenses in the NFC. So Wait a
7: minute. Reality TV is not <laughs> right. reality?
1: What? Uh-oh. what? Breaking news. You just disappointed Marie. I'm <laughs> sorry, Marie.
7: Wait a minute. I thought all that Kardashian stuff. I thought it- all that was for real.
1: It's better it's better you hear it from us than, than someone yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, And I guess Dan Campbell
6: says, listen, you know, we we uh we did it the first time, it was nice, but you know, we're serious. We you know, we gotta win. You yeah, know, it's time to win. We don't need the distractions and this is serious business.
1: Yeah, well and the Jets are are, are a great choice because you got that whole um Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers yeah. Hot mess bleep show. So yeah. um Another piece of polarizing news uh that, that broke yesterday is that uh Werner's black cherry is coming back uh this summer from July twenty fourth till October and it, it it was one of those things that people either loved or people hated. I don't know if you guys were able I to did. try I it. I liked it. You did? I, I I like the black cherry, especially in a float.
7: There it, is only one Verners oh, and it oh. is the traditional Verners. Well,
1: then, I guess uh, I guess we're at a standstill. I don't lo- think we can go on with this show. <laughs> we'll I don't believe
2: it.
7: All
2: well, right. Lloyd,
1: if I get my hands on some, I'll give it to you because, to me, it tasted like Robitussin. So, <laughs> this and other hard-hitting news uh, just coming up here.
7: Robitussin. Right, oh. after,
1: uh, right after the news, JR Morning with uh, Marie Osborne in for Guy Gordon. Uh, Lloyd's here. Nick's here. Rest of the show's the same. We'll talk to you in a bit.